Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. this series called This Is Us. All right, so go with me to the book of Exodus. I want to read a few verses, going to pray over you. Then we're going to go ahead and dive into our sermon, but we're going to put a bow on this series, This Is Us. We've been on it for, this is now our fourth week. We're going to put a bow on it. If you want to catch up on some of the messages, you can go back on YouTube. Some of them are there. You can catch up with them there, but uh, this will be the opportunity for us to really, again, put a bow on what has been an incredible series, at least for me. I hope it's been good for you. Has it been okay for you guys? Because I've been enjoying it, and, uh, and so we're going to put a bow on it today. Let's go Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. Yes, same passages that we've been reading for the last few weeks. We're on it. It says, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So for the next few moments, I'm going to talk to you on this thought. Make a difference. Make a difference. Right there, would you bow your heads and let me lead you in one more prayer. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity that we've had to gather in this place and to worship you. Thank you for this amazing weather, God. And I just pray that in our moments together that you speak to us, God. You joined us here in worship, Lord God, and you're here even now. Father, we open up our hearts, our minds, and our ears to hear you. God, we want to hear you speak. Speak, God, because your servants are listening. We ask all this in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Look at your neighbor and tell them, make a difference. So in this passage of Scripture, and let's get that Scripture back up on the screens again. In Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7 here, there are four promises that God made to his nation Israel. And these four promises have been highlighted. Highlighted. We've been talking about it um, all month long. Let's do it one more time. I will bring you out. And he says, I will free you. And then he goes on to say, I will redeem you and I will take you as my own people. These were the four promises that God made towards Israel. And Israel continues to call these promises, those that continue to practice um, Orthodox Judaism, they call them the four I wills aptly named, right? (laughs) A lot of thought into that. The four I wills, the the four things that God was going to do for Israel. Now, he didn't just end it there, but all throughout the Bible and even into the New Testament, these promises repeated themselves. They were said differently, but the point was still the same. And this is the four promises that that now weaved its way into the New Testament and into into the church. And when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about you all, okay? How many know that you are now part of the church? How many of you glad that you are a part of the church? You are a part of this 2,000-year-old body of believers, this body of Jesus followers, this ecclesia. That's the Greek word for it, but we are the church. We transcend time. We transcend race. We transcend culture. Come on, we transcend um, countries and nationalities. It's a beautiful thing, the church of God. Amen? Can I get a little louder amen on that? It's a beautiful thing, the church. Do you realize that the original anti-racist institution was the church? 
Yeah, 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 it was. Go read your Bible. The church actively fought against racism, and the church was beautiful because it had rich and poor. It had young and old. It had Jew and Gentile. It had people of all nationalities, and they centered around this unifying um, hope, this hope that we have in Jesus. So in the New Testament, these were how we read God's promises for the church. Well, number one, he wants for the lost to be saved. How many know that God wants the lost to be saved? That's why we say people matter to God. Number two, once they're saved, he wants to get them pastored. He wants for them to be cared for. After they've been pastored, he wants to get the pastored trained. We want to get you equipped to do the work of ministry. We want to make sure that you don't just come and have a good time on Sunday, but that beyond that, we're helping you to tap into the gifts and the talents that God has over your life. We want to get you trained up so that lastly, the train can be mobilized. You go from being lost to being a part of a family. But after you're a part of the family, we want to enlist you in God's army. Come on, how many know that God needs an army right now more than ever before? And so we want to get you from, you know, from uh, someone who does not know Christ to in the church to finding their identity to ultimately then helping other people find their identity. And I said this week one, and I'll say it again, found people, find people. And so we have first got to get to this place where, where we are saved, pastor, trained, mobilized, so then we can find other people who are lost so that we can get them saved, pastor, trained, and mobilized. And the church will continue to move forward, and it doesn't matter how dark the world gets. Come on, how many of you know that the darker it gets outside, the light just shines that much brighter? And so we need a church shining bright. We need a church that's filled with God's power. And, and, and really, that's my first point that I want you to write down when we talk about making a difference. Number one, God does not fill you with his spirit only to hide you. Okay? Can I, can I get a good amen on that? God does not fill you with his spirit only to hide you. The, the problem with the church is we got too many Christians that are only Christians in church on Sunday. I know I'm coming right up in your grill today. I'm coming hot, all right? But listen, if you tell your coworker you're a Christian and they are surprised, you're doing it wrong. If you tell your coworker, I'm a Christian, they're like, with that mouth, you're a Christian? <laughs> when you tell your, your coworker that you're a Christian and your lifestyle doesn't really seem to align itself with that statement, you might be doing it wrong. Okay, and and now, now we're, not, we're not here to, to, to call you out. We're here to, we're here to lift you up. Come on, how many of you know that, that we're not here to call you out, but we're here to lift you up because God has more for you. I said God has more for you than just a Sunday experience for 75 minutes, and God help us if we run a minute over. How many of you know that God has more for you than simply coming, clocking in, and doing church on Sundays? How many of you know that God does not fill you with his spirit and then says, I'm going to hide you, and you get to be a Christian on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, don't let anyone know that you are his child. That's not, that's not what we find in the text. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 reads as follows. You are the light of the world. You, you, not, not just him. Because a lot of times, you know, we, we, we're, we're singing about Jesus. We're, we're celebrating Jesus. And, and we've got this expectation. My pastor, yo, Pastor Josh and Pastor Phil and Julio and all the other pastors at Lighthouse, those are some shiny people. But that's not what it says. It says, you are the light of the world. Look at your neighbor and tell them you. You, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill, watch this now, cannot be hidden. 
nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and moral excellence, and here's the reason why, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. When we start shining bright, people start seeing more of Jesus. I'm going to say that again. When we start shining bright, more people see our heavenly Father. So God partners with us of all people. That stings for some of you a little more than others. You know, it's like God to, to think that God would partner with me. Because I know my shortcomings, and I know my faults, and I know where I have failed God, and I know where I've fallen short of the glory of God. But to think for a moment that God says, Josh, I'm going to put my spirit on the inside of you, and then when you start to shine, Josh, people are going to start to see me. Isn't that an incredible thing, that people will see the God in you when you start to shine? But you've got to shine or else they'll never see it. And listen, one of the things that I've told our team here at Lighthouse is we did not come to just be a church on the block, okay? We're not here to just be a church on Eucalyptus Avenue. We have come to be a light in this city. And I'm going to need some more of you to get on board with that. I did not come to pastor a church. I came to pastor a city, and there's a difference. There is a city that is in need, and what this city does not need is another church that has turned itself into its own self-serving country club, gathering on Sundays and with their youth on Wednesday, but we've got to be bigger than that and realize that there is a city that needs what we have, and as long as we're quiet with what we have, they'll never know what God can do. They'll never know about the mighty acts of God. They'll never know about the mighty works of God. So we've got to get shiny, y'all. Come on now. Like my brother Matt's Cuban chain. Matt wore a shiny Cuban necklace this morning. I grabbed that thing. I said, Matt, that's a dope Cuban necklace. Some of y'all are like, a Cuban what? Pardon me. I've been hanging out with the culture too much. But here's the deal. Some people don't allow God to use them and, and, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but let me give you three things that I think why people don't allow God to use them. Number one, we let our past cripple us. Write that down. We let our past cripple us, all right? And, and Psalms 38 says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I am bowed down and I am brought Low. That's the psalmist writing. He's talking about this guilt that he has. And, and, and you need to know that the enemy will always be trying to remind you of the mistakes that you made in your past because he can't speak into your future. The only one that can speak into your future is God. I say that one more time. The only one that can speak into your future, the only voice that you should give permission to speak into your future is the voice of your heavenly father. The problem is you allow the enemy to bring all this negative self-talk into your head and you're beginning to live below the expectation that God has for you because we let our past cripple us. My wife's a counselor. Y'all got to pray for Pastor Josh. You know what it's like arguing with a counselor? You don't win very many of those. But my wife's a counselor. She does this thing with my kids, and she's great with it. Whenever they start um, saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, she'll say, stop the negative self-talk. 
And that doesn't, doesn't that just sound good, right? I mean, I don't say anything that sounds nearly as good as that. You know, but she'll say, stop the negative self-talk. You are brainwashing yourself. Your, your words are defeating you before you even try. I mean, that's some good momming right there, right? You know, that's some good counseling. But, this, but this, the same is true for many of us Christians. We allow our past to cripple us. And, and, and when you come to God and when the lost have been found, how many of you know that God doesn't just forgive you of your past, but the word of God says that he forgets that thing. So if God's forgotten about it, why are you still hanging on to it? Let's say that one more time. If God's forgotten about the thing that you used to do, if God has forgotten about that person that you used to be, why are you running it back to that old self? Why are you running it back to that old person when God has so much more for you? So the first thing that you've got to overcome is I've got to overcome my past. Second reason why people don't want to get more shiny for Jesus is we let culture define us. We let culture define us. Galatians 1.10 says this, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Let's just stop right there. Don't you just love the way the Apostle Paul writes? He says, who am I trying to prove with my life right now? Am I trying to prove men or am I trying to approve of God? And let me tell you, if, if you're trying to seek the approval of men, that's a very lonely place to live. That, that's a very difficult place to live when you're trying to earn the approval of other people because you're always going to make someone unhappy. Listen, if you want to make everybody happy, go sell ice cream. You know, you, you become a Christian no matter what you do, you're going to upset some people. That's just the way it is. You will rub people the wrong way because you're trying to become the best version that you can be. And some people just ain't going to stand for it. And when God starts pulling you out of your past and as God starts redefining who you are, people will get agitated. People will get upset. People will be very uncomfortable. And so that's why Paul says, am I trying to win the approval of men or of God or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's some heavy stuff right there. Paul says the moment you start serving men, you stop serving God. Because he said you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. So you've got to reconcile in yourself, Lighthouse, who are you going to serve? Who are you going to be trying to please? Whose approval are you trying to go after? And so if you let culture define you, you'll never allow yourself to make a difference in this world. Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. Can I just talk on this freely for a second? Can I? I'm talking, even if you don't say yes, I'm going to talk about it, right? <laughs> you know, the, the, the crazy thing about um, social media, and the crazy thing about culture, and how everything is like race related, it's insane to me because that statement that I made earlier is the absolute truth. The church done right, okay? And, and, and let me say, there's been a lot of people in church that have got it wrong. But don't let a few bad apples define who the church is. Uh, but, but, but the church is the original institution that stands against racism. And, and there's an old song that they used to sing in the 70s that goes, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Without him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. That is still the truth today. There are movements that are rising up simply trying to rebrand and re-identify something that Jesus said 2,000 years ago. And we could either buy into what already works or you can just be blown to and from by every changing wind of culture. And how many know that culture just changes like crazy? I mean, the fads come and fads go. I mean, it's insane how fast these fads come and go, right? 
Come on, some of you parents, you should be saying amen a little louder because your kids are wearing clothes that you used to wear when you were a teenager. And you're like, I thought that died. It's back. It's back with a vengeance, okay? And some promiscuity with it too, but it's back. And, and so culture is constantly moving. You cannot allow yourself to be defined by culture. The third reason why we don't step out and do, is, do more is because we try to do it alone, we try to do it alone. Ecclesiastes 4.8 says this, and this is the cure to it all. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. When you're trying to do it all alone, it doesn't matter how much you accomplish in your life. One day you'll look up and you'll realize, I've conquered this mountain, but I've got no one to celebrate with. I met a pastor. I was at a pastor's gathering. We had this uh, Regular coffee, because that's what y'all think pastors do. We do nothing but drink coffee all day. You'd probably think that if you followed me on Instagram, too, but that's besides the point. Um, I was having coffee with these pastors, and this guy showed up. He's never shown up, and, and he began to share with us. He said, you know, when I became a pastor, I tried doing this all by myself, and, and it's been very difficult trying to pastor in downtown. He went on to say is what the heart, he said, you know, one day I realized how lonely this journey was because we had this great win as a church and we got this building and he's telling this room full of pastors and, 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 and as I'm so excited because God opened up this door for me and he opened up this door for the church, I looked around and besides my wife and my kids, I had no one to celebrate with. That's a lonely place, isn't it? When, when, you, when you've got no one to celebrate your success with, it's even lonelier when you've got no one to share your grief with. Why do you think we talk about connectors so much? Here comes the plug, right? Right in there. Why do you think we want to get you doing life with other people? Because life is lonely if you're trying to do it alone. You need people that are going to be praying for you. You need people who are going to be covering you, people that are protecting, for, pre protecting you, praying for you, walking with you. They're going, to, they're going to grieve when you grieve, and they are going to be excited for you when you, get the, when you get the promotion, when you get the raise, when good things happen. You want people in your life. And so there's many of us who don't do what God has called us to do for those reasons right there, because of the culture, we're trying to do it alone, or we let our past cripple us. So what is the solution? I want you to write this down. Well, here's the number one thing that you've got to do as God is trying to use you to make a difference. Number one, you have got to respond to the call. Respond to the call. 2 Timothy 1.9 says this, God saved us and then called us. Let me put it right. Let me, let me emphasize that right there. He didn't just save you, but he saved you and then he called you. A lot of you got saved, but God's calling and you're not answering the phone. You got, anybody turn that feature on on their iPhone where it's like you send all unknown numbers right to your voicemail? Isn't that the best feature in the world? So if you're wondering why Pastor Josh does not answer your phone calls, I just ratted myself out, okay? Because if I don't got you saved on my phone, you're going right to my voicemail, have a good talk with Siri, okay? And I'll get back to you though. If you leave me a message. But listen, so many of you, God's calling, but you're not answering. And, and Paul says to Timothy that God saved us, and then he called us to this holy work. He did not simply save you to sit. I know many of you just want to sit, especially a day like this. It's 80 degrees outside. I don't know why I wore all black. Should have paid more attention to the weather app. But, but God saved you. And then he called you to work with him in his holy work. God did not save you to sit, but God saved you to do. I'm going to say that a little louder for the people that don't want to listen. God saved you not just to sit, but God saved you to do. Our problem is we're not responding to the call. Oh, if God would just call me. Oh, he's calling. He's calling. And if you would just listen, you would hear him. 
I, I think back, uh, I, whenever I, I share this story, I get, I get these two vivid memories of when I was a, a, a young man and uh, trying to find my way in ministry. I was so zealous for the things of God. I was so trying to do God's will in my life. And I'll never forget, um, I, I used to work at this uh, company. I think everybody needs a job like this job that I'm about to share. Parents, like, make sure your kids, like, get a job like this. Jordan, you can appreciate this. But I used to work at Cinnabon. Everybody needs a job like Cinnabon at some point in their life or a Taco Bell. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got, that's like a rite of passage. You know, some of you parents, like, you know, you got a great job and then your kids graduate. You get them right into, like, the good jobs. Let them go scrub some floors for a little while. It'll do them some good. You know what I'm saying? Let them go clean out a grease trap. It's good for them. You know what I mean? Anyway, so I remember working at... Cinnabon and, and, and really it being at a period in my life where I'm trying to hear from God. I'm trying to hear from God. God speaks to me, and sometimes God would speak to me, and I'm like, ah, why'd you say that? I didn't want to hear that. But when you, when you tell God to speak to you, he'll speak to you. I remember going into my shift at Cinnabon, and, and I had a coworker. She was, she was just an awesome person, totally not a Christian, you know what I'm saying, but, but, but a really nice girl. And God said, you're going to preach to her today. And I thought, no way am I going to preach to her like, this is, like, the last person that I would ever want to preach to. This is the last person who would ever want to hear from you. And God said, get ready because you're going to preach to her. And I remember working, you know, in, in my shift and being so conflicted. I'm like, God, why do you want me to talk to her? I don't want to talk to her. It's like, I, you know, it's like we, we do that. We're like, God used me. And we think that God's just going to, like, put you in front of a 10,000-seat church and, like, preach to all these people. No, no, no. God, God needs to get to the places, right? He's got to get you into some places and into some crevices of the culture and society. That's where he needs you. And I'll never forget that finally the opportunity presented itself. She said something. And I began to talk to her about church. She began to weep, and I began to talk to her about God, and she began to weep. And I'm like, why are you crying? We're working. We got to serve cinnamon rolls. Like, don't cry too much, you know? But, you know, she begins to say, she begins to share with me her background. And her background was growing up in the exact same type of church that I grew up in. And I talked about that church a few weeks ago, Old Crazy Long Church, you know what I'm saying? So, like, she had all of that experience. She said, I used to be an altar called junkie. I had never heard that term before. <laughs> like, you can be a junkie off of altar calls? Like, do you just come to the altar? I mean, like, how does that even work? You know what I'm saying? But she said, I would, I would come to the altar and cry and pour out my heart before God, and I'd feel him come and talk to me, and then I'd go and, I'd go and live my life any old way, and then I'd come find the next church and go find an altar. And I began to preach to her because I responded to the call. One time, this one is even a little more, this one was one that's like, I always wrote this down, like, man, when you talk, God will listen. So, um, you know, this other time, I was working, and I worked at a bank. And, and I remember um, getting excited because a friend of mine was coming to preach in town. And he lived, in, he lived about two hours away, but he was coming to preach at a church in Chula Vista. And so I was going to go here and preach. And I was all pumped up. And then I just heard God say, get ready, you're preaching tonight. And I'm like, just doing my job. And I'm like, what? Get ready, you're preaching tonight. And I'm like, oh, uh, whatever. <laughs> you know, like just so dismissive. And then about 30 minutes later, I get a phone call from my friend who was the preacher that was supposed to preach that night. And he calls me and he says, I'm sick and I can't preach tonight. I need you to preach in my place. And I was like, you know what? God kind of already told me that. <laughs> and it was, it was actually an amazing thing because he said, I'm so glad I called you because I just knew that you were the one. And God was talking to me. And, and listen, I say those two examples to let you know that if you listen, God will talk. Problem is many of you are not listening. I got into this habit every single morning when I have my quiet time with God, I say this thing because it's biblical. No, not just that, but because, you know what I mean? It's a good thing to say, but I'm like, God, 
speak to me. Your servant is listening. Who said that? Samuel. Thank you. Samuel said that. He says, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. I don't say it like that, but I say, speak, God. I'm going to listen to you today. I dare you to start doing that every single morning. If, if some of you, they're like, God never talks to me. Have you ever invited him to talk to you? Have you ever invited him to actually speak into your life? Because I started doing that every single morning. God, speak to me today. I'm listening. And he will just start speaking because I have made myself available. Listen, if you want to make a difference, if you want God to use you, if you're saying, God, you know, Pastor Josh, I want to be that shiny Christian. Well, the first thing you got to do is make yourself available and respond to the call. Second thing that I want you to write down, you have got to stand for a cause. Stand for for a cause. Acts 20 uh, verse 24 says this, Paul, uh, Luke talking, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. We have got to find a cause that is worth standing for. Let me, let me unpack that for a second. We have got to find a cause worth Standing for, do you realize that the calling on the life of the church is the most significant call here on this earth? I really believe that. You know what I love about the millennial generation? This is an altruistic generation that really wants to do good. And that's a great thing, right? I mean, I think you're going to go clean up the beach. That's an awesome thing. You want to go help out um, and, and park cleanups? That's a great thing. You want to get involved with goodwill? That's an incredible thing. But listen to me. And all of the good things that you get caught up in, make sure you get caught up in God things. Because there are some good things that have no eternal consequence. But the things that have eternal consequence need to be your priority. Okay? Because there's a lot of things that you can get caught up in. A lot of good things that you can get caught up in. But we have to make sure that we are caught up in the things that make an eternal difference. You can do things that have great impact but have no eternal consequence. You can do things that, ha that are really important to people, but they may not make an eternal difference. I'm talking about doing things so that the lost can be saved. I'm talking about doing things to move people closer to God. And I'm going to get old school right now because there's, there's, uh, there's, some, there's some preaching in the church that has fallen on hard times. There's some preaching in church that has fallen on hard times. And let, let, me, let me unpack two of them for you, and, uh, and, and then I'm almost done. But let me unpack two of them. There is first and foremost uh, the teaching on the judgment. How many know that one of these days we will all face the judgment of God? We are. And we're going to give an account for what we've done here on earth. But, but, but many of us have not heard the teaching the way that I need for you to hear it right now. There are actually two judgments that Christians are going to face. Look at your neighbor and say, there's two. There's two. See, we don't talk about this enough. Number one, there's the great white throne judgment, which is simply, did you give your life to Christ? Were you a Jesus follower? That is the, the great white throne judgment. We want the lost to be saved, right? That, that's the, the first judgment because there is an eternity in the balance. Say amen if you believe in that heaven or hell is real. It's real, okay? And, and so there is the great white throne judgment. And, and for those of us that have already made that decision to follow Jesus, you got a second judgment coming. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. <gasps> There's a second judgment? Absolutely. We don't talk about this enough in the church. The judgment seat of Christ is where God is going to judge you according to what you did with what he gave you. And this is only for Christians. 
at the judgment seat of Christ, you have got to give an account for what you did with the very things that God gave you. I'm in my Bible. The thing is, we spend so much time talking about just getting into heaven, and that is the ultimate goal. Absolutely. We, we, we want to get there. That is our goal. That's the hope and the promise that we have. But we've backed down on any conversation about the judgment seat of Christ, and it's very important, believers in this room. It's very important, Lighthouse Church, that you hear me. At some point, you are going to give an account to God for what you did with what he gave you. That's why we want pastored people to be trained so they can be mobilized so that when you get to this judgment, all the angels are high-fiving each other and say, oh, here comes a believer from Lighthouse. Now, they are good at doing that. People that coming up from Lighthouse, I mean, they got some good teaching and good preaching, and they know what to do, and, and they did something with what they were given. This is why we got to shake up and bring up this teaching again. Because some of y'all, again, want to get saved and sit at home and do absolutely nothing. And you will have to give an account for what you did with what God gave you. And I don't want you to say, my pastor never preached on that. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. You have to give an account for what you do. That's why the writer said only what you do for Christ will last. That's why you have to do the things that are going to have eternal consequence so that when you get to that second judgment, you'll get there with your life poured out saying, God, I, I didn't just get to heaven, but man, now that I'm here, look at all of the things that I did for the kingdom of God. Look at all that I did to advance the cause of the church. Look at all that I did with what you gave me, and I want you getting to heaven tired, exhausted from having poured your life out, your life out for the cause of the kingdom. So you got to know that's coming. It's okay to applaud that. It's okay to say amen to that. I'm coming to a close now if I can get the musicians up here to help me land this message. And so you've got to stand for a cause. You, you've got to know that, that what you do has significance and, and what you do has consequence. And, and again, we don't talk a lot about this in church because again, we just trying to get everybody to heaven. And yes, we want to get them to heaven. Absolutely. But just know there's another judgment coming. There's another. This one is in salvation, but this is where you give an account to God for what you did with what he gave you. And it's in the Bible, and we don't talk enough about it, okay? Can I give you the third one? Here's the last one. Do it with God's people. Third one. Do it with God's people. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. So for those of you that are like, man, this sounds awful familiar. It, it should sound like what you hear in Growth Track because we say this in Growth Track. And this is my shameless plug for Growth Track happening this Wednesday at 6.30, okay? So that's happening at 6.30 in that room over there. Salah did a great job teeing that up for me, but I'm going to put a little extra on it and let you know that I want to see you at Growth Track, okay? For those of you that are ready to make Lighthouse Church your home, that's your next step at Growth Track, okay? But I say this in Growth Track. I want to make a difference doing something that makes a difference with people who want to make a difference. With people who want to make a difference. It's a lonely journey trying to do this, doing this all by yourself. I mean, if you go back to the book of Acts, notice that even the most legit of the apostles never went out alone. Now, see, when Paul went, he had Barnabas with him. And even when he had his falling out with Barnabas, he's like, all right, well, give me Timothy. You know what I mean? And then later, it was like, bring John Mark over here. Paul never went alone. Paul. The, the, the guy who authored almost the entire New Testament knew he couldn't do it alone. So why do you try to do it alone? When you can join a team and help advance the kingdom of God. 
when you can be a part of the church and be united with other believers. This is why, listen, this is why I was having this great conversation with Jim just before church. You know, some of our fear is that so many people have gotten so comfortable doing online church that they may not come back. But you got to eventually come back and be a part of this body. I understand when you can't be here physically. I understand wanting to feed your soul during the week during the week and listening to other messages, but at some point you got to be a part of the body of Christ. We work better when we are connected. And, and you want to have someone working alongside you. When we decide to make a difference, we want to do it with people. I love in the book of Acts when it writes that when the apostles would like walk into a town, they'd be walking into a town and the people would say, here come the men who have turned the world upside down. I mean, that's an incredible thing to be said about, right? Like, imagine you walked in to your job, and they're like, here comes Joe. He's turned this company upside down. But these apostles were turning the world upside down. Why? Because they wanted to make a difference with their life. You might be thinking, well, Pastor Josh, I mean, really, like, you want me to join the dream team so I can, like, serve coffee or help park cars? Like, how much of a difference am I really making? Well, let me tell you something. What starts small can become an incredibly big thing. You see, I, I, I'm not trying to get you to just serve coffee. I'm trying to get you in a family. It's really what I'm trying to do. Because when I get you around a family, a family is going to build each other up. A family is going to speak life to you. A family is going to help you become a better version of yourself. A family is going to help you to become everything that God has called you to become. I'm not trying to just put you on a team. I'm trying to put you in the army. I'm trying to enlist you. And my hope and desire and pray for each and every one of you is that what starts small ends in something incredibly big. Something incredibly awesome. I got this little visual, and I wrote it down. You know, today's Palm Sunday. I don't know if you guys knew that. And so today's the day where we will honor and recognize that this is when Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem from Judea, and he's making his way into Jerusalem, and he's coming to let everyone know that he's here to now finally accomplish and do the will of his Father. But how does he come in? Riding on the back of a donkey. I mean, wouldn't you think he'd come in like on an elephant, you know what I'm saying? Like just huge, right? Or a stallion, maybe even a rhinoceros. I don't even know if they exist in Israel. But I mean, it's like, like he could have come in riding anything, but he chose the smallness of a donkey. And I wrote this down. What began on the back of a donkey ended with an empty tomb. He came in on the back of a donkey, something that seems so insignificant. But by the time this Jesus of Nazareth was done with what he had to do in Jerusalem on that week, it culminated one week later with an empty tomb. It culminated later with Jesus defeating death, hell, and the grave. It culminated with Jesus taking captivity captive. It culminated with Jesus just turning this world upside down through what he accomplished on a cross. But how did that week start? On a donkey. A meager, simple beginning to a powerful week. And sometimes that's what it's going to feel like when you just get started, when you decide to make a difference. Sometimes what you do seems insignificant. I'm just pouring coffee. <laughs> 
I'm just selling merch. Merchandise for the adults. <laughs> I'm just holding a pop sign. No, 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 no. You, you start there. But you lay your life down for God and see how far he will take you. Come right there, Ria. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I thank you, Lord God, for the moment that we've had to gather. I thank you, God, for these moments of worship. I'm so thankful, God, that we've come to this place, Lord God. On this Sunday, Lord God, Palm Sunday, a day, Father, where we remember, Lord God, that this is the day that you came to the city of Jerusalem and you were about your Father's business. You showed us what a life surrendered looks like. And how a life can make an eternal difference. And God, you did that in such a humble way. You rode into those streets on a donkey, showing us that what begins small can end in the hands of God in a way that can impact the world and generations. And my prayer right now, God, is for every person in this room that wants to do something with their life, but they don't quite know what to do yet. I pray for clarity, Jesus. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would begin to show them your plans for them. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would begin to dispel, Lord God, the lies of the enemy, the lies that says they're not good enough, the lies that said they've made mistakes, the lies that is telling them that they'll never be great, Lord God. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus that they would begin to hear your voice, to respond to your call, to find a family, Lord God and to start to change the world. They may not change the world, but they will change their world. They will change someone's world. Someone's life will never be the same because they surrendered their life down for your cause. So right now in the name of Jesus, speak to us, God. We are listening right now. Every ear is being open, Lord, to hear your voice right now. In your precious name we pray. Would you stand if this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.